It's time for the news. That's right, the most important happenings in all of the world. We're talking about the stuff that you gotta know. The hard rock and metal news. Who better to bring it to you than your boys from right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend, a man who knows what's happening on the streets, and he's going to let us all know about it, Mr. Chris Sinzak. How's it going, brother? Doing good. I feel like the Dan Rather of metal. You totally are. That's exactly what I picture. When I when I when we do these, I don't picture like I'm talking to Chris Sinzak. I picture like I'm talking like you're Dan Rather and I'm Walter Cronkite. In corpse paint. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, so the last one we did had a lot of good stories. There's some really entertaining stories that we're gonna get to today. One thing I wanted to start off with though is a crazy you know you can tell that the world is getting back to normal when tons of tours are getting announced so that's a good thing right oh yeah for sure so there's a ton of upcoming tours that got announced some some you may be excited for some you might you may not um let's just go over a few of these that got announced just literally like in the last two days uh metal church is back with a new singer they've got a june and july u.s tour going on this year yeah new album coming too yeah I wouldn't mind seeing Metal Church live. I don't think I've never seen them live. Yeah, I never have. And I had their album, one of their albums when I was younger, on cassette tape. So I've dug the Metal Church for a while, kind of fell away from it for a little bit. But I'm looking forward to this new album to see what it's going to be like. Yeah, and um, it's not a new announcement, but Aaron and I, if you don't know already, will both be in Indianapolis in a couple of weeks for the Ugly Kid Joe and Fozzie show. That's right, the Ugly Kid Joe tour the return to the united states it kicks off this week and we so if we hopefully we will get an interview with the guys so they can thank aaron camaro personally for bringing them back to the united states i showed that there was value in coming back to america come home brothers we're ready to rock and roll and now it's finally happening after all these years we've been talking about it for like 12 years when's ugly kid joe coming back and then they came back and then they had new albums, and you know, then it was like, man, this is amazing. I love it, you know. But when are they coming back to the states? And for years and years, we cried. Well, I cried, <laughs> real tears. But now they're back, and like I said, it kicks off this week. Check them out. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're going out with Fozzy. Oh man, that's cool too. And. They're kicking it off this week, so check out them tour dates. If Ugly Kid Joe is coming anywhere near you, please go so we can show them that we love them here in the United States and that they should come around a little more often. Yeah, because you don't want 25 years to go by after this tour. Oh, God. (laughs) Please, no. (laughs) The nursing home tour. (laughs) Oh, man, I'll be breaking out to go see it. Right. Um I don't know how excited you'd be on this. Power Man 5000, yes, they're still around, are doing a no summer shit. U.S. tour. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love Power Man 5000. It was one of the most awkward openers for Kiss during the reunion years I've ever seen. I didn't even know they opened for Kiss. They did. They opened for Kiss here in Nashville on the uh, reunion tour. Wow. And it was uh, it was awkward. The fans did not like them. There was like two teenage girls in front of me going, yeah and everyone else was like these guys suck um i thought they were okay i like power man 5000 neck bone to backbone neck bone to back that first album's killer their second one they got popular on was really good 
stuff they've come out since then has been really good. So, you know, Power Man 5000 has been around. Some people forgot about them, I guess. But now they're back. They're on tour. Yeah. And if you've never heard their cover of David Bowie's Moon Age Daydream, it's actually really good. Those guys are cover meisters, man. They can take a song that you wouldn't think could be metal and make it so cool, man. Well, the solo on that cover is ripping. Yeah? Yeah. That's cool, man. If that comes anywhere around here, I'd be interested in going to see it. Yeah, I might go to that. Um, Ann Wilson from Heart announced a summer tour, and she's coming here to uh, Brooklyn Bowl, I believe. Huh. Just her, though, huh? Yeah, I think she's still having the feud with her sister. I don't know if that'd be much fun. I mean, that seems like it would not be the heavier side of heart. No, she does a lot of a lot of their harder stuff. Yeah, she she's more. I think she's more responsible for the Zeppelin influence in that band than her sister. I could be wrong on that though. Pretty interesting. I guess you just assume that the guitar player is the one that makes the band rock. I don't know, but she's. I've never seen Heart live, so I might go to that just to to be able to see her because she still she can still sing really well. Yeah, I yeah. If she was gonna bust out some uh, uh, white lightning and all that, some barracuda, some cool old stuff, I could be down yeah. with that. Yeah, I like some of that old stuff. Um, it, this was a the big story of the last week, which you know, it very mixed reviews and mostly hate when I posted the link to the Nashville show announcement. Aerosmith has announced their peace out farewell tour with special guest the black crows what do you think about this huh is it just steven tyler and joe perry and a bunch of other guys or is there no it's everyone i think except for joey kramer oh hmm i think joey's still out of the band does aerosmith still got the goods to pull this off do you think i don't know that this is going to be very good i mean i and i was really excited that joe perry was bringing Joe Perry project back out, but some of the video I've seen of that and he, you know, he's got Gary Sharon singing for him. Um, Joe doesn't look too well. So I, yeah. I don't know how good this could be. Yeah. Joe hasn't looked well for the last 25 years. I think Joe's doing drugs again. A little too old for that shit. I'd say. Yeah. And that ain't going to make for a good mix on the road. When you're hanging out with Steven Tyler, don't let him do no drugs. I think I heard that he fell off the wagon, too. Oh, man. Those guys are too old for that shit. And they might be too old for this shit. I don't know. And, like, you know, tickets, especially having the Black Crows as the opening act, what the fuck are ticket prices going to be? Oh, man. It's going to be insane. I hope this isn't one of those cases where this band goes, well, Kiss are doing it, and Motley Crue's doing it, and they're making money, and people are still buying tickets. Why don't we just grab a bunch of a tape decks and get out there on the road one last time? They might. I don't know. I mean, I saw Aerosmith years ago. I don't know that I really need to see this. I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing the Black Crows because I've never seen them live. Although I saw, I, did, I saw what would become the Black Crows before they were called the Black Crows when I was a kid. They were called Rare Breed at a baseball, Little League baseball field. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting to see if Aerosmith can still pull it off or if they're up to tricks. I don't know. But, like, I posted the link and, like, 90% of the comments were, oh, these guys suck. I don't want to see them. Wow. Like, oh, wow. See, I don't know if I could say Aerosmith sucks. I mean, yeah, their classic era stuff is unbelievable. And, you know, then you think about, like, don't want to miss a thing. And that last album was so horrible. Yeah. That's, I mean, 
I'd kind of like to see Aerosmith maybe go back into the studio and come out with something good. We've talked about this before, how it bums us out when a band closes their career with a really shitty album. That album may be the worst thing Aerosmith ever did. Well, and what what blew me away on that one was Jack Douglas produced it. You would have thought that, that it would have been more like the classic stuff with him doing the controls. And there's not one good song on that album. Not one. No, not one. The whole album sucks. Like you would think, you're like there's got to be at least one or two songs on here that are pretty good. No, none of them. Not a single one is any good. That whole album is garbage. Yeah, and I hate saying that, and I know you do too, because I love Aerosmith. Yeah. But it's just, it, but it's, yeah, I, and I've tried to go back to that record and like give it another shot, and every time I'm like, no, it's just not good. It's just not good. Eh, maybe they can do something to rectify that before they totally hang it up. Because, I mean, just because you're done with touring doesn't mean you got to stop creating music. Yeah. But, I mean, they're cashing in. I mean, making announcing it as the final tour, I mean, that that's a definite move to make as much money as you can. Well, these guys are all getting pretty old. You know, it's these bands like Kiss... Molly Crew, they should be on their final tours. Yeah. Well, and like go back last week and listen to uh, Radio Sucks and hear the future of music and get into those bands because these guys are getting old. Yeah. I was just talking to somebody the other day that said, man, those bands you played on Radio Sucks are so cool. You know, I said, these are the bands that are going to someday be on the Monsters of Rock cruises and the big festivals and stuff. When bands like Aerosmith and Kiss and Motley Crew and Guns N' Roses... When those guys are done, I mean, those cruises and those festivals still got to happen. So there has to be another crop. And I feel like a lot of times when we do Radio Sucks or when we do Fresh Blood, it's almost like a glimpse into the future. Like, these are the bands that, if supported, can take the places of the legends as they ride off into the sunset. Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, I don't think no one, a lot of the younger crap crop of bands is not going to fill arenas i don't think i think we're past that now because it's not as concentrated with mtv and top 40 radio like it used to be but at the same time if people will show up and support the newer artists rock and roll can survive just fine but you gotta pay and you gotta show up and see them live yep gotta nurture them or they're gonna die um, but yeah, and then the last tour thing that was going on, this is not a big story normally, but, um, Skid Row and Buck Cherry have expanded the gangs all here, North American tour with 22 new shows. That's really not a big deal. I think people expected that. But one thing that was interesting to me was one of the opening acts for these 22 new shows is uh rock city machine company, our buddies band. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. We just yeah. played them last week on the radio sucks radio show and, you know, we played a lot of great stuff, but I don't think anybody got the response that they got. Yeah. And that's cool. I wish that one was happening here in Nashville. Well, um, Craig Lindsley, who uh, is helping kind of back the band, I, I commented on his post about it. I'm like, waiting for a Nashville show, so hopefully we'll get one. That'd be great. I would love that. Buck Cherry's got a new album coming pretty soon, too. You know, I, I used to really like that band, but I have not liked anything by them in the last couple of couple of albums. I don't know. To me, everything they come out with sounds like Buck Cherry. They're kind of like one of those bands like ACDC, where you kind of know what to expect, and usually that's pretty right. Josh Todd needs to say fuck a few more times in the songs. Um, <laughs> more songs about drugs and booze. Yeah. And crazy bitches. 
Yeah. So um, are we ready to hit the real news stories now? Let's do it. All right. So I uh, I had a funny comment to uh, Aaron earlier today. We we were going to record this the day before we're recording it. Yeah. And then sometimes you get gold that falls in your lap if you postpone by a day. And today was one of those days. Um, Motley Crue is claiming that no backing tracks were used on the summer 2022 tour. Um, this is the funniest shit. These guys don't know when to quit. So um, somebody commented on a Motley Crue post about the new tour that's happening. And this guy named Bruce Holland said, saw the backing tracks tour last year and paid dearly to see it. It's a hard no for me this time around. And Motley Crue, whoever is running their page, probably Nikki six responded in all caps. This is the summer tour footage for fuck's sake. There were no backing tracks for band members. Fucking clown. But isn't there like an overwhelming amount of evidence out there that shows the contrary? Just hundreds and hundreds of videos. What the fuck? Why? How? Uh, I don't understand. It's a weird thing nowadays where people can just look you straight in the eye, even though they know that there's a ton of evidence all around and say, that didn't happen. You go, well, wait a minute. What about this video? And what about that video? And that one and that one and that one and that one. Nope. None of that is real. Nope. Nothing to see here. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I read this and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. If, if there's anything to own up to, they have to own up to this. Even their manager during the McMars drama a few weeks ago admitted to this, said that there was backing tracks being used for, for, the, for the band. He admitted to it. But they're going to still come out and say, no, no, we didn't. That's ridiculous. This would be like Paul Stanley saying he's not lip syncing. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, (laughs) (laughs) yep. Just like that, (laughs) man, I don't know, man. I don't like it. I don't like how it's been normalized to use backing tracks. I mean, I guess at least, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what the fuck to say to this shit anymore. I'm I'm sick of it, you know? We grew up in an era where if this was happening around, say, Dr. Feelgood era, this band would have been shunned. Ripped apart. Like, never to be heard from again. Like, Milli Vanilli stuff. Yep. And those guys, I, I think one of them at least is dead, but those poor Milli Vanilli guys, yeah. they were like, man, we were 25 years before our time. If we had just came out in the 2020s, we would have had a massive career when nobody cares about the band's lip syncing. Yep. It's just, it just shows how low the bar has sunk. Right. Where people will just, just for the sake of nostalgia, because you fucked in the backseat of a car to Heaven's on Fire or, you know, Don't Go Away Mad, just because that, you know, touches your nostalgic feels you think it's okay that they cheat like this. And like the, the fucked up part is that Motley Crue. I mean, the funniest thing is, is that the rest of the band is backing tracks, but the person who needs backing tracks the most, the singer is not getting backing tracks. I suppose they can't really give Vince Neil backing tracks because they don't trust him to lip sync properly. Exactly. Yeah. It would be too (laughs) obvious. Like just let him sing because he will get lost. 
Like, he will be wandering off somewhere while his track is playing. You gotta let him sing. You have to. There's no other way around it. But I think here's another aspect to that that's kind of forgotten. So you talk about, like, if this would have happened back in the day, they would have been ripped to pieces. The difference is, is back then, there was a lot of competition to be the greatest rock band on earth. You know, Motley Crue had it for a while. Guns N' Roses had it for a while. You know, these bands were always in hard competition. And so, like, back in the day, say, if Sebastian Bach had figured out that Motley Crue was using backing tracks, he would have put that shit out there everywhere because there was such fierce competition between these bands. Everybody wanted to be the best. Nowadays, when rock isn't on the forefront of popularity as it was back then, you're not getting a lot of competition. Like, these young bands aren't coming and saying, look at these old fucks, you know, they can't do it no more, but we got it, you know, give us your love and attention and money. Yeah. They're not getting that. There's no competition there like it used to be. They don't... It's like when you're at a business and you have a competitor across the street from you, it's going to be hot and heavy. You're going to be do everything you can do to prove that your business is superior. Once that other business goes out of business, well, now you get to just kind of kick back and take it easy and do what you want to do because there's no competition. That's kind of how it's become for bands like Kiss and Motley Crue. Who's out there that's popular enough that can compete with these bands for these giant touring spots? There's really not. Nobody, because people are, just like I said, the, the bar gets lowered because everyone is just living off nostalgia. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I got late in high school to this band, so I'm going to just let everything pass. And like I wrote that in that article last year, honestly, rock fans right now are the worst enablers that there are on killing the genre. So, because you, you keep filling up arenas to see John Bon Jovi or Motley Crue or Kiss, and it's like, let these guys just fade and support people that can hack it on stage. Right. Yeah. It's just sad. You know, and then, then you know, and I have it lower in the list on here, but like Molly Crew played a 40 minute set at the NFL draft in Kansas City the other night. Did you see any of that footage? No, I haven't caught any of that. Oh, boy. Um, Was it bad? Well, the band sounded okay because they were actually playing live, and because I, I think the criticism has gotten to Nicky. Nicky was actually playing his bass live. Not well, but he was playing live. Well, I suppose when you're on national TV like that on a big event like the draft, I mean, you better bring it that day. Well, I think the, the criticism is getting to him, so he actually decided to play live. Not well, but at least he did it, and I'll give him that. But then, I mean, Vince, just good God, just sounds terrible. I mean, just... I don't, I don't know why anyone would pay money to see Motley Crue live today, especially at the prices that they charge. I just do not get it. Go to a club, see a band that can actually do it, that has energy, that has talent, and enjoy yourself. Who, listen to your Motley Crue albums at home, fine, but stop enabling these fucking guys to get out in arenas. It's ridiculous. Yeah, instead of spending your money on Crue or Bon Jovi or Kiss, take that money, go catch Metal Church, Power Man 5000, Skid Row, Buck Cherry, Bands that are still out there kicking ass that can still legitimately deliver the goods. Ugly Kid Joe, yeah. perfect example. Yeah, they still have it. If, if if an older band still has it, that's not who I'm criticizing. It's these legacy acts that should have retired 10 plus years ago. Don't want to be the last one at the party, you know? That's what they say. Well, it's funny. I used to laugh at my parents for being like, 
they would mention, oh, uh, the Temptations are coming to town or the Four Tops are coming to town. And then I would talk to them and then they would say, well, it's really not any of the original members. It's all replacement guys. And like, we're living through that time now in our age. Yeah. And it's like, man. <laughs> so it's kind of sad. Well, um, you know, it just makes me feel that much better about when we do do a Radio Sucks show or a Fresh Blood show because... You can't blame us when there's no rock and roll left. We served it all up on a silver platter to you. You got to eat it. You got to support it. Bring it to life. Make it happen. Got that right. Uh, speaking of older bands that can still hack it, except went through a uh, bit of trouble with a couple of our friends, Christopher Williams and Philip Schaus, having to miss a show in Santiago, Chile. Uh, both got horrible food poisoning. Did you hear about this? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit on the Radio Sucks radio show last week. Oh, I guess we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, both of, them, both of them got stricken down with that, but they're both okay from what I gather. Remember, they were eating armadillos off the side of the oh, road? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got in a hurry putting my notes together this week. Don't do that. Santiago or anywhere else, don't eat roadkill. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know if we want to get into this. Um, Iron Maiden and Soundgarden both barely made the top five in this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction fan vote. Did you hear about this? Not that it matters. Oh, man. I I guess, but, man, that sucks. I think what it comes down to is that rock and rollers don't give a fuck about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for years, have had this stuff shoved in our faces where... Iron Maiden is not even in the Hall of Fame? That's ridiculous to me. It's dumb. So the fact that they're not getting the votes, where part of me says, what's wrong, rock and rollers? Why don't you get together and vote? You know, get the word out. You know, push Iron Maiden in. Push Soundgarden in. But then I think, well, that's kind of hypocritical because I don't give a fuck about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame either. So I didn't vote. No, because in the fan vote, all of this, like all these votes go together to uh, count for one vote, one actual vote. And then those douchebags at Rolling Stone magazine will just vote in their typical bullshit. Yeah, every they time. just pick their friends. Yeah. So, like George Michael led the fan vote with a million votes. Cindy Lauper came in second with nine hundred twenty-eight thousand. Warren Zevon had was third with six hundred thirty-four thousand. Iron Maiden had 449,000 and Soundgarden had 427,000. I just think rock and metal fans are just like, fuck it, who gives a shit? Yeah, because, I mean, (laughs) if it mattered to me, I would vote. Yeah. But it doesn't matter at all, so I didn't. I feel kind of bad for not voting, but I didn't. I'll tell you one thing, though, that does kind of bother me is there's a metal hall of fame. Yeah. And they do a good job, and they... Induct new people that are deserving every year, and I actually know the guy that runs it. This guy named Pat, who's a really nice guy, and they do it, but it it gets such such little fanfare compared to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's one of those things where, if the rock and metal fans really, really cared and really got behind it, it would probably be a bigger deal. And like VH1 with the Rock Honors thing, you know, a few years back, I thought that was going to be a big deal, and it lasted what like two years. But like rock and metal fans don't really get behind stuff like this. I think the difference may be, and I, I, I guess I'm just assuming here that there's not a physical building for the Metal Hall of Fame. No, it's just a, an event every year. There's not a pilgrimage where people can go to. Like if there was an actual building somewhere in some town, any town, 
and it had the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame in it, and it had like the displays and things like the Country Music Hall of Fame here has, or right. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up in Cleveland's got. That might get more attention if it was a destination where you say, I'm going on vacation. Where do I want to go? You know what? I want to go to the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. Right. I know that takes a lot of money. And, you know, with the state of rock and metal the way it is, I understand that there's probably not money for a really nice place to put something like that. But, you know, maybe one of these big corporations that want to throw their money around to put something worthwhile would be to have one built. Make a heavy metal hall of fame a destination place where people go on this day, the ceremony will be for the new heavy metal hall of fame inductees, and you would go to that, especially if it was one of your favorite metal bands. Like, I don't know, I guess I didn't go when Kiss got inducted, but I don't know how that works. Can normal people even go to that thing? I think they sell like a limited amount of tickets but i don't know for sure i've never looked that far into it to be honest with you yeah right for sure who cares um because it's bullshit and everybody knows it's bullshit you know even even if iron maiden and soundgarden were number one and number two in the fan vote they probably still wouldn't get in because like i said the rolling stone magazine's the fucking worst man They've always been the worst. They've always hated hard rock and metal. They've hated Kiss. They've hated Sabbath. They've hated everybody on down the line. If you ain't Bob Dylan or David Bowie or some shit, they ain't got no time for you. And nowadays, it's all pop music anyway. So, you know, and every once in a while, I get a Rolling Stone article that'll pop up on my news feed. And it's, half the time, it's not even about music. Yeah. So, and they, I mean... I, I used to give them credit for that, though. At least some of the music articles used to be very well written. But that's the only thing I could give them credit for. Yeah, not anymore. That stuff's long gone. Mm. Sad. I feel like an angry old man up on a soapbox right now. <laughs> like screaming at the clouds. Look at this angry old metalhead over here. He don't care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He don't like Rolling Stone magazine. Well, maybe the Metal Hall of Fame can open up a brick-and-mortar building at some point, because if Gene Simmons can open up a fucking thing in Las Vegas that has, like, half a wing of Hello Kitty shit, maybe there's hope. Yeah, I mean, I think people would go to it. I would. I would, too. If that was a real thing, I would, if they said, hey, we got a free pass to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we got a free pass to get into the Metal Hall of Fame, you know where I'm going. I'm not going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'd go to that. Absolutely. Somebody ought to do that. Come on, Jim Ursay. Give us a heavy metal Hall of Fame. <laughs> all right, are we ready for a triple shot of Alice Cooper news? Oh, man, that's got to be all good news, right? To me, it is, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. so he opened up his Too Close for Comfort tour in Mount Pleasant, Michigan recently. And uh, I want to give uh, some props to Dean Tomasek, who's a, a local Nashville musician, was in a great band called Valentine Saloon years and years ago. Also is the creator of the original logo for Rock and Pod. I'll give him credit for that too. Nice. And Dean for the last two tours has built Alice Cooper's stage sets. Yeah, he also builds a lot of stuff for Kiss too. He does, and so does Billy Baker who was also in Valentine's Saloon. He builds Eric Singer's drum kits. Oh yeah, Billy Baker was at Rock and Pod. He was. Boy, this this shit all comes full circle. That's right. So um Alice opened his uh, tour at Soaring Eagle Casino Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And uh, you want to go over the set list real quick? 
I glanced over it when it was when I saw that Dean had posted it. Holy shit, <laughs> it's awesome! Open the set with "Lock Me Up." Has never played it live. Wow, what a crazy thing to kick it off with. Yeah, I think that's a ballsy move. Then of course, no more Mister Nice Guy. I'm 18, which it's still ballsy to play those two songs early in the set list. Yeah, um, under my wheels. Not a surprise. Bed of Nails. It, that's become a, a staple of his set in the last few years. I love that song. Kind of a hit song for him. Yeah. Billion Dollar Babies. There, this Now, here's the one I wish he would just drop from the set list is Fallen in Love. I hate this fucking song. Do you like this song? Not especially. No, I, I think it's awful. Then he played Snake Bite, which hasn't been played live since 91. Wow. From Hey Stupid. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, Be My Lover, that's a must. Lost in America, I like that one. Yeah. And he played the title track to Hey Stupid. Drum solo. Welcome to My Nightmare, he brought back into the set. Hadn't been in the set for uh, like f- five, six years. See, and that was one that time we saw him. I was surprised he didn't play it. He gave it a rest, though, because he did it for so long. Yeah. Um, Cold Ethel, can't beat that. Oh, man, I love that song. Only Women Bleed. Uh, of course, Poison. He has to play yeah. that. Uh, Feed My Frankenstein, which that's what he opened with the last time I saw him at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. Uh, Black Widow Jam, Ballad of Dwight Fry. Love that nice. song. I Love the Dead, Escape, and School's Out. And then the encore was elected. That's awesome. That's a great set list. Alice Cooper does it right. You know, in a time where, well, I guess these bands have to have their, their set list pre-recorded, but... <laughs> It's like when you go see Kiss, you're never going to have that moment of, oh, my God, I can't believe they're playing this. When you go see Crew, you're never going to have that moment either. Every time I've seen Alice Cooper, there's always some stuff in there in the concert that I go, I can't believe he's playing this. Like when we saw him at the Opry when he busted out Pain. That was great. That was one of my all-time favorite Alice Cooper songs, and I never expected to hear it that night. And when he played it, I was just like, holy shit, you know? And then it's like, man, thank you, Alice Cooper, for caring enough about your fans to mix it up. Yeah, he's going to play 18. Yeah, he's going to play Poison. He's going to play, you know, the songs that people expect to hear. But in between time, he's throwing in stuff that the hardcore fans are going, wow, you know, and that's amazing. I love it that Alice Cooper does that. You know what? Talk a lot of shit about some of these legendary artists, you know, that are taking the, the cheap way out. You can never, ever say that about Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper has always had the goods. He still has the goods. And I would pay to see Alice Cooper perform live any night of the week, any month of the year. You're guaranteed to get a a good show every time. 100%. Alice Cooper, thank you. The only thing I wish is that he would preach to the crowd about, you know, alcohol and, you know, stuff (laughs) like that in between songs. No. He's the anti-Paul Stanley. He never says anything between songs. Literally ever. He just goes from one song right into the next. He ain't got time to bullshit around. He's here to <laughs> kick some ass. But uh, no, I, it's still waiting for uh, Scarlet and Sheba to get played live. Hopefully one day he'll do it. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I'd hold my breath for that, but if anybody's going to do it, it'd be him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when he brought out pain, that was great. Cause I don't, and I think that's, even though it's during a period he's not proud of, that song personifies the Alice Cooper character to me. And the Blackout era. Yeah. 
Most definitely. It's such a great song. So good. Um, he also um, recently went on Sirius XM and talked to Tommy London on Hair Nation and talked about the new record that's coming out. He said it's going to be coming out very soon. The touring band, all the guys, and Chuck and Nita, I said, I want to show this band off. So he did an album in the studio and very, very, very few overdubs in it because the band's so tight. And I wanted them all to be writing with me. Everybody brings in songs because I want everything in-house. And Ezrin produced it. Um, He said that the tentative title now is just going to be called Road. And it's going to be mostly songs about being on the road. See, that's the other thing I love about Alice Cooper. He listens to the Decibel Geek podcast, clearly. (laughs) Because we've been shouting this from the mountaintops for years. You've got such an amazing band. Make an album with them. Yeah, it's cool to bring back the old guys and mix it up and stuff and have different people playing on different tracks. That's fine. But when you've got a band this good, use them on the album, in the studio. And Alice Cooper said, you know what, Chris and Aaron, you're right. I'm going to do that. So (laughs) I'm very excited that he listened to us and what this album's going to be. It's got to be great. I can't wait for it. I uh... And I I, I, gave, I went back and listened to D- Detroit Stories actually today, and it's actually a little better than I remembered it being. So some of his newer stuff is starting to grow on me a little bit more. See, and I liked most of that one since the very beginning. There's a couple of weaker tracks on there, but there's some real gems on there too. Although I noticed that the, you know he is the one, um, I think the song's called I Hate You or something, Um but it's like the one where he brings back the guys from the original band. Yeah. That's like the, it's the Alice Cooper equivalent of you wanted the best. Like, remember that, the kiss song that was so awful where they're like, you know, insulting each other through the, the verses. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's like the Alice Cooper version of it. And I was like, God, mu- and musically it's great, but like, God, lyrically it's so cringy. Yeah. Cause they're each one are <laughs> taking their turns talking <laughs> shit about Alice Cooper throughout the song. The band make the yeah. bandmates. Yeah. It's like, you got a big mouth. You don't know when to show up or you don't know when to shut up. It, it just, it's just so lame. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Not yeah. one of my favorites on there for sure. Um, but the last Alice Cooper story, um, there's going to be deluxe editions of schools out and killer released in June. Did you, you see this? I did see that. As a matter of fact, as soon as I saw that, I put that on my albums to look forward to in the future list. That's going to be cool. Yeah, double LPs on both of them. Uh, so two CD sets and three LP versions on 180 gram oh, vinyl. Oh, three LP versions. Yep. That I didn't know. I guess I missed. Maybe I was looking at the CDs. Yeah, so. Uh, I didn't really get to dig into it. Is there any like uh, you know unreleased stuff on there that nobody's ever heard before from those eras? Let's see. Um, I know it says something about like unheard live tracks, but see, I see on Killer it's got uh, bonus material featuring alternative takes for "You Drive Me Nervous," "Under My Wheels," and "Dead Babies." So it's just alternate mixes. Okay, and then um, that's still cool. The collection also gives fans an unreleased live recording of the performance. In Puerto Rico, 1972. So that's huh. kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Um, the show previews Public Animal Number no. 9 from the forthcoming album. The band played most of Killer during the concert, including You Drive Me Nervous, Under My Wheels, and Halos of, Halo of Flies. Nice. Uh, so yeah, so it looks like their uh, school's out. Newly remastered version of the album 
contains rarities like the single version of school. That's not a rarity. Everyone has that. The single version of school's out. And uh, Gutter Cat versus the Jets. Oh, two previously unreleased tracks are also oh, included. Yeah. An al- alternate version of Alma Mater and an early demo of Elected. That's what I'm talking about. See, Alice Cooper doing it again. Not only does he deliver awesome concerts, not only does he not get on my nerves, he also <laughs> releases deluxe versions with stuff that's worthwhile on it. Because, of course, I already own Schools Out and Killer, but for that extra stuff, I would actually get these as well on CD. So, again, Alice Cooper, you're the man. Oh, and also there's a Live in Miami in 1972 set also on here. Wow. So yeah, I'll I'll probably I'll probably end up buying both of these. Yeah, me too. Yep. Me too. Heck yeah. Um, okay, so another thing it's like they're talking about the rock and roll being dead and you know, only major labels being a thing. Well, Corey Taylor, Blabbermouth's favorite poster boy, there's a story about him that actually interested me and I think it will interest you. He is starting his own record label. Did you hear about this? No, uh uh-uh. uh. He's putting out a follow-up to his CMFT solo album called CMF2. That's supposed to come out this year. Yeah, and he's got his own label imprint. The label imprint is called Decibel Cooper. Decibel Cooper. Yeah. That's weird, because we're the Decibel Geek podcast, and we were just talking about Alice Cooper. Isn't that wild? That's so weird. But what does Corey Taylor think? Uh, I'm sure somebody mentioned that in the comments on the Blabbermouth article. But, yeah, apparently he's starting his own record label, and uh, he's doing his best to give a leg up to hard and heavy music and trying to help out new bands. So we'll see if he has more luck than Gene Simmons had in the 80s. Well, fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. I love that because we preach it here all the time. The future, the future, the future. We're always looking to the future. We're always doing the radio sucks. Corey Taylor, if you're out there or somebody that knows Corey Taylor, you just tell him, listen to Fresh Blood. Listen to the Radio Sucks radio show. And you'll find your next generation of hard rock and heavy metal music. I'm talking about Dawn of the Rising and Lydia's Castle and Dome and bands like that. You know, we got a million of them. Let us run your record company for you, Corey Taylor. We know all the best bands that are unsigned. That's right. We're your guys. We can do this. I'd be lying if I didn't say I was excited for his next solo album because the last one was really great. It was great. I really liked that a lot. Like, I didn't... That was that year that came up and I was like, eh, you know, I've already got my top picks for the end of the year and, you know, there's still some left that I didn't really get a chance to listen to, but I don't think any of them will touch any of these, so I skipped over a bunch and that was one of them. And then you came and it was actually on your list and I was surprised until you played it. Then I was like, whoa, shit, I missed something here. So I went back and listened to it, and that album was killer. So me too. I'm looking well, forward to that next one. That was more of a case of me doing my due diligence, listening to stuff that I don't think is going to have a chance in hell of making my list, but still listening to it, and that was one that made it. Pretty cool, man. And the fact that he cares about the future of rock and metal music, man, it feels good to know that because, I mean... It's a weird time for all of us, whether it's you, me, or the people that listen to the show that love this kind of music. 
it is a weird time. It's like we got to do the work ourselves. Like nobody is trying to introduce us to the next generation of rock and metal music. We got to do it ourselves, you know? And so it feels like sometimes like we're fighting a losing battle. Like we're never going to bring rock and metal back to 89, 90. But, I mean, they always say, the old timers, they always say these things are cylindrical. They come and they go and they come back again. Maybe this could be something that helps kick it off because God knows we look around us at the bands that we loved and respected for so long. And I know Kiss and Motley Crue come up in this conversation again and again today, but they're the perfect examples, really. One of my favorite bands of all time, Kiss. One of my favorite bands of all time, Motley Crue. And I feel like I don't have a whole lot of respect for these bands anymore. And that makes me sad. But there's a ton of up-and-coming bands, the ones we met at Rockin' Pod, the ones we play on this show and we try to spotlight, that I've got a ton of respect for, that are out there doing it themselves, writing the songs, playing the songs, recording the songs, playing the shows, doing it themselves, because they have the love and the passion for it. And if Corey Taylor has love and passion like we do, I wish him all the best in helping us bring rock and roll and metal into the future. It doesn't have to die. No, it doesn't. And I think that's a good segue into your segment of uh, the show. Okay. That sounds good. I didn't know it was, but I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Hey, I hear you tip-tapping at your keyboard. I know Rockin' Pod's over. You can't fool me. No, I'm just giving Baco some shit online. Oh, okay. That's acceptable. You can, <laughs> you can interrupt the show for that. As a matter of fact, hang on one second. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, let's do some rock star birthdays, rock star death days, and albums to look forward to coming our way real soon. We'll start with the rock star birthdays. We're going to go back to a couple we missed, a couple coming up in the next few days before we come to the next episode. Got to start it out with this one right here. Here's talking about a man that I love and respect, and Chris, I know you do too. Probably one of the most amazing guests multiple times that we've ever had on the Decibel Geek Podcast. Producer extraordinaire, master of metal, sounding good on your LPs and CDs, celebrating a birthday on the 25th, the one and only Michael Wagner. He's the best. The most awesome dude you could ever hope to meet. Anybody that listens to this show, you know it's true. You've heard it yourselves. Next day after that, on the 26th, born in 1959, Mr. John Karabi celebrating a birthday. I'm seeing these like these people that are that we grew up listening to, and I'm seeing what their ages are, including Karabi the other day, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, we're all getting there. We're now, getting aren't old, we? man. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Hey, John Karabi, he's still got the goods. He doesn't look his age. I'll just say that. Doesn't act his age either. That might have That's something to do sure. with it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do we. All right. See, that's the secret. That's that's how you can keep looking young and luxurious as Chris, myself, and John Karabi. Don't act your age, and you won't look your age either. That's right. Uh, celebrating a birthday on the 27th, my hero, the spaceman, the one and only original Ace Fraley from KISS. Gotta love it, man. Spaceman, he's still with us another year. Hard to believe. You know, if you, uh, if you asked him back in his heyday, you think he'd be still alive in 2023? I bet you he'd tell you, ha ha, no. 
And the breaking news this week that uh, apparently the new Ace album is going to be called Walking on the Moon. I love that. I can't believe he went with a space theme. I think if he didn't go with a space theme, people would be like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> what are you going to call it? Walking on the beach with Ace Fraley? No, man. You gotta walk it on the moon. Ace Fraley, blonde on blonde. Yeah, I don't know about all that. But I am excited for that new album. Like you said, somebody was telling us, it's really good. I'm excited for it. It always is. But it's always good to get new stuff from Ace. There's another guy still out there delivering the goods. He don't use tracks. He's the spaceman. He don't need them. Here's a guy that's, a, am sure, an Ace Fraley fan. As a matter of fact, I know 100% he is. Uh, early, early on guest on the Decibel Geek podcast. I think he even predates my first appearance on this show. Yeah. Talking about from the band Shameless, Alex Michael. Yeah. Celebrating your birthday on the 29th. One of the first uh, guests on the Vinnie Vincent specials. Yeah. He sure is. And Alex Michael was there to tell you all about it. <laughs> the story about uh, Vinny's wig slipping off uh, during the bus ride when he was asleep. That's priceless. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. I'd like to have him back on the show again sometime. I would, too, because you know he's got tons of stories. Yeah, and I never got to have the chance to talk to him, and I'm a fan of Shameless. I love that stuff. Let's line it up. All right. Also celebrating a birthday that same day, we got three of them. Alex Michael. Brian Thuvenel, our friend, celebrating a birthday on the 29th. And also, we talked about this guy not too long ago, born way back in 1947, Tommy James from Tommy James and the Shondells. Wow, he keeps coming up. Yeah, that's wild how that works, but yeah. Huh. Maybe we ought to do something about him. The heavier side of Tommy James and the Shondells. I'm telling you, it can be done. (laughs) I know it can. All right, then, celebrating a birthday on the 30th. Got a couple of them here. Our awesome friend Iggy from Dawn of the Rising celebrating a birthday on the 30th. Happy birthday, Iggy. Happy birthday. Awesome. That was one of the worst episodes ever of Friday Night Live. Oh, man, not their fault, though. It was still a fun time. Yeah, no, it wasn't their fault at all. (laughs) Worst internet connection of all time. (laughs) Live, and it's all going horribly. We got to do a do-over with those guys again sometime. We do. Uh, Let's see. Also celebrating a birthday on the 30th, born in 1948, Wayne Kramer. Yep. All right. That brings us up to May. Here's a couple from uh, just the other day, I guess. Well, by the time this comes out, we'll see. Dakota Denman, former guest of the show, awesome rock and roller. What I read on his Facebook page is that he is celebrating his birthday in, oh, where was it? Haiti. Was it Haiti? He's in Haiti. With... With Dave Ellison, right? Well, as of today, he's in Haiti, but he's on the Monsters of Rock cruise, I believe. Okay, all right, that's what it, that makes sense because I knew it was one of those islands down there, yeah. and he was going to be playing some something with Dave Ellison to celebrate his birthday. So, and that's cool. Dakota Denman. I mean, we met him when he first moved to town. Monster guitar player, but a, a great human too. And look what he's doing now, man! So cool. I'm proud of that guy. And we're both proud to call that guy a friend. He's great. And a licensed pilot now, too. That's right. Yep. It's true. Multi-talented Dakota Denman. Let's see who else. Celebrated birthday on the 1st also in 1968. Darcy Retsky from the Smashing Pumpkins. The chick. You guys remember the chick from Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah. She's been cut out of the reunion. 
That's true. Yeah, it's all the original members except for her. Not sure why. Real quick, did you see the uh, the thing Billy Corgan did recently uh, talking about his favorite metal out artist? Yes, I did. That was and great. That wasn't was it? super cool, man. You know, you think Billy Corgan, you know, and he's going to talk about Pantera, and he's going to talk about Priest, and he's going to talk about bands like that. He talks about except, but he also brings up Dokken. Yeah. And he's like, now, before you metalheads, you know, shame me over this, let me speak to you for a minute. You know, it really gives up the virtues of classic docking. And, man, I thought that was pretty cool. And the other thing with his show, his his wrestling show, is that he features bands like that. So for a while there on the one TV show, Into the Fire by docking was like the opening theme song. Yeah. But I loved his love for Dokken on that, and it got me thinking because I, I really agree with what he said where he said that there were a lot of Eddie Van Halen clones in the 80s, obviously. Right. But Don, but George Lynch was the one who could kind of transcend it and kind of made it his own thing. That's and, true. And I got I got to say, George Lynch is something else. And actually, the new Sweet and Lynch song that's out now, if you haven't checked that out, it's really great. But we, we should do a best and worst of Dokken, I think. Oh yeah, I would like that because we were we've never really delved in much on Dokken, and I think they would be a fun one to cover. And I think Dokken, based on like current era, kind of gets overlooked a little bit because like your initial reaction is we think Dokken nowadays is oh god that's horrible, but if you look at the classic era stuff, far from it. Great songs, great playing. Don Dokken was an awesome vocalist at one time. If you don't believe me, kids, YouTube it. He really was. He was awesome. Yeah, I would like to do a best and worst of Dokken for sure. I love that Let's band. Let's plan on that. But yeah, but but you know, hats off to Billy Corgan because uh, you know, big metalhead uh, growing up, and it was nice to hear him give props to a lot of the bands that we love. All right, so then celebrating a birthday on the second. Oh, I got two awesome ones here. Lou Graham. The original singer from Foreigner celebrating a birthday on the second, and also celebrating a birthday on the second, Mama Camaro. That's right. Happy birthday, Mom. Your mom? Yeah, my mom celebrated a birthday on the second. Oh, awesome. Happy birthday. Uh, let's see. On the fourth, former Motley Crue guitarist. Whoever thought you'd ever, ever say that? Oh. Mick Mars celebrating a birthday on the fourth. How old is Mick now? Uh, he was born in 51. I can't do math. Yeah, I'm no math magician. I don't know. Usually, I figure out these things ahead of <laughs> you said time. Math magician, but not this time. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. You do the math. I'm not doing it. Just pause it for a minute, and then no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All celebrating a birthday on the fourth. Another former guest of the show. Super awesome dude. Hell of a guitar player. Good friend of Gene Simmons at one time, at least. I don't know about anymore. Maybe Scott Van Zandt. Oh, I love that guy. Super cool. He still puts out music. You know, check him out. Uh, let's see. Who else? Ah, legendary drummer. Probably, maybe. Ooh, it's hard, hard to beat. If I was to say my favorite drummer of all time, it'd be some kind of fight. This guy would be in it. Talk about Bill Ward. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing drummer. You know what? I listen to Sabbath so many times over the years, but every time I do, I still go... Holy shit, Bill Ward, man, amazing. Just an innovator on the drum set. And an underrated singer. Yeah, he was all right. He listen, was all right. Listen to It's All Right from, uh, I think it was Technical Ecstasy. 
Yeah, that's a weird ass song, man. It's a great, but, but like his vocal is really good, though. Yeah, his vocal's good, but it sure don't sound like a Sabbath song. I love that album. It's some kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know. I always was confused by that. Like, why? Why are you guys doing this? What are you doing? Cocaine. That's why. Yeah, and a lot of it. Uh, let's see. Celebrating birthday on the sixth. Our awesome friend Gino Ames. Oh, happy love birthday, that guy. Gino! Celebrating your birthday on the eighth. Turning 70 years old. Man, that's hard to believe. But yeah, it all adds up. Alex Van Halen. Wow. 70 years old. 70 what's years he, young. What's he going to do? He's got enough money where he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Doesn't he still want to rock? Like deep down in his heart, don't he still want to rock? I bet he still gets behind the kid at home and plays. Man, he should put together a band. It is kind of funny though, and like Eddie Trunk brings trots this out every few months, but it is true. It is odd that we've never gotten a full on Eddie Van Halen tribute concert. Yeah, it is sad. Yeah, this it is sad. It seems like other people cause too much drama for that to actually come together the way that it should. But honestly, it's the most Van Halen thing ever because that's kind of the way they operated all those years. Yeah, true. There was no band worse at communicating with their fans than Van Halen. And I think Eddie was a big part of that. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I mean, he really had the leash on it, but you got to give it to Alex, too. You know, I think that Alex should be a little mad since being overlooked and snubbed for the drumming job in Mr. Big. Now it's time for him (laughs) to start a new band and really kick Mr. Big's ass for it. Oh, oh, gee, I don't even know how to respond to that. Show him what's up, Alex Van Halen. You got overlooked, you got snubbed, but now it's time to make a statement. Put together a new rock band. Let's let's hear something. You think Alex Van Halen is threatened by Mr. Big? If I was a drummer of the stature of Alex Van Halen and I was not offered the job to drum for Mr. Big, I would be a little upset. I think. I don't think I don't think Mr. Big could afford Alex Van Halen. <laughs> Alex Van Halen, you just said it yourself. He's got a ton of money already. He don't need the money. He needs to rock. Yeah, but most people that have a ton of money, they still want a ton of money for whatever they do in the future. Yeah, that's true. I suppose you're right about that. Trust me, I know as the guy that runs Rock and Pod. Yeah, yeah I suppose that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, also celebrating a birthday on the 8th. Super cool guy. We've got to meet him a few times. Eric Brittingham from Cinderella. Nice guy. Here's one that I've been meaning to ask about. Celebrating a birthday on the 9th. What the heck happened to Andre LaBelle for Rockin' Pod? Andre got very sick. Oh, man. And I'll, he... um, I'll leave it at that. But he, he's okay now. Okay, good. But he had some medical emergencies that were very scary for a while. Oh, he, shit. He had every intention on being there, but thank God he's doing better now. I'm glad to hear that. Happy birthday, Andre LaBelle. We love you, man. What day is his birthday? The 9th. Okay, I need to make sure I check in with him. All right, also celebrating a birthday on the 9th from Cheap Trick, Tom Peterson. Let's see, we'll run through the rest of these pretty quick. Uh, Sid Vicious, had he lived, would have been celebrating his 66th birthday on the 10th. One of our heroes and a... If there was such thing as a Decibel Geek Hall of Fame, this man would be a first ballot addition, no doubt about it. Celebrating a birthday on the 10th, the one and only Todd Zilla. 
I love that guy. Totally. I uh, got a few more. Let's just rip them out. Billy Squire celebrates birthday on the 12th. Brent Tibbetts on the 12th. What's up, Brent? Uh, Eric Sayer, the uh, current drummer in Kiss, celebrating your birthday on the 12th. And let's see. When are we recording again? Let me see what I got here. <laughs> yeah, let's call it there. Otherwise, okay. I'll be here all day. I heard Eric Singer does a great Aaron Camaro impression. Yeah, I'll believe it when I hear it myself. We got to get him on the show. I heard that a long time ago, and I thought, that's awesome. But then I've never heard it myself, so I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> Does that sound like a challenge, Eric Singer? Because it is. I challenge you to come on the show. Maybe like get a, do an Albums Unleashed on um, the first Badlands album. That'd be cool. That could be fun. See if That'd he wants cool. to do it. Or maybe the ESP album. I always yeah. like that. Or definitely not the second Badlands album, which I fucked up when I uh, met him. Yeah, probably none of those Kiss records either, except for maybe Revenge. Revenge would be fun. Or or Carnival. All right, so there you go. Happy birthday to all those awesome people. If you weren't awesome, you wouldn't be on that list. So there you go. And if you're not on the list and you are awesome, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy. Right. I know I miss people all the time. All right, let's talk about some death days. These are the people we want to remember this week. Not a huge list, but a few. I think the theme of this week's Rockstar Death Days is cancer fucking sucks. That's right. Because there's a lot of it on here. Start out with Mick Ronson. He was the longtime guitarist for David Bowie, and he was a member of the Spiders from Mars. Super influential, awesome guitar player, very unique in his way of playing. Passed away way too young in 1993 at the age of 46 to liver cancer. Mm. Sucks. Here's one. Now, this is a little outside the box for Decibel Geek. I wouldn't consider this to be hard rock or heavy metal, although some of his lyrics are pretty damn heavy. Just lost this one the other day. Like, just the other day, for real. Gordon Lightfoot. You know Gordon Lightfoot, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I know Recca the Edmund Fitzgerald, but that's about it. I don't really know much of his music. Oh, you know another one? Sundown. Yeah, I know that one. That's an awesome song, man. Not heavy metal, but man, that would be a fun one. Like, if I had a hard rock band, I'd want to do a cover of Sundown. Because hmm. that's got what it takes to be metal. And the the content of the song is metal. And the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, this guy, man, and I don't think about Gordon Lightfoot a lot, but two things. When I was a kid, hanging out with my parents, I guess listening to AM radio, this is the kind of stuff you'd hear as a kid in Wisconsin. Like when I hear Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald or I hear Sundown, I feel like it's 1978. That's a time travel song. Yeah. Totally. And when my son wanted to pick up a guitar and learn how to play it, I was like, okay, well, let's figure out, you know, let's pick a song for you to learn how to play. And we talked about it, and we listened to a few different things, and the song we decided upon was The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And the reason is because for a guitar player learning on a little acoustic guitar, and Ace was still pretty young at that point, it's a long song that's pretty repetitive, and so he could really 
get into the groove of the song in learning how to play guitar. So now my kid's actually a pretty decent guitar player, but it all started with the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And when I told him, I called him yesterday and I told him, hey, Gordon Lightfoot passed away. And he said, well, the legend will live on from the Chippewa on down. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's like a, it's like a Wisconsin kind of a song. You know, Wisconsin's mentioned in it. It's a true story. The Edmund Fitzgerald it's was a, great a real song. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome, man. So I'll lift a beer to Gordon Lightfoot. You're not metal, but you're heavy enough for me, brother, to hey, make this list. Good, good music is good music, right? That's right. All right, here's one. That, man, 33, that's young, man, young. You know, if it weren't for Kevin Williams, I might not even know about this band. But since learning about the band X, or as they're known here in the United States, X Japan, Mm. I am blown away by this band. Like, they might be one of my top 10 favorite bands at the moment because I just, you know, even though some of it's in Japanese, some of it's in English... The music oh, is freaking believable. And as far as like heavy and rocking and melodic and just sounds great and produced great and every instrument is exactly where it should be and heavy and cool. Hide, man, the guitar player from X Japan is to me now one of the greatest guitar players that I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, to watch live footage of that band and watch him play guitar, it's kind of mesmerizing. That band is something else. If you don't know about X-Japan, look it up on the YouTube. Check it out. They'll blow your minds. They're crazy looking, but super talented. And, man, when he died, it sent the country of Japan into some kind of crazy insanity. So, first off, they find him in his hotel room. Kind of the same thing as NXS, dude. Towel around the neck, tied to a door handle in a hotel. When he's found dead at the age of 33 in 1998, Japan goes insane. There's a bunch of copycat suicides that happen. When they have the wake, like a whole bunch of people show up to it. A lot of fans drive from all over the place to get to there. And this girl throws flowers up on the, on I guess, the stage or whatever. the I don't know what you'd call that, the altar. And then turns around and splits her wrists in front of everybody. At the funeral, there's 50,000 people that show up for Hide's funeral. Out of that crazy mess, there's like 200 injuries. People go to the hospital. This To say this guy was revered in Japan is a huge, huge understatement. This guy was a legendary hero. Hide, awesome. Now, Yushiki says that He doesn't think it was suicide where that's like an old trick where you kind of, you know, when I went to the chiropractor one time, they had like a old time football helmet and it had like a metal loop at the top and a rope attached to the ceiling where you could put that on and kind of stretch out your spine. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess this is like the quick way to do that. You know, you just get a towel and wrap it around something and kind of stretch your neck out and stretch your spine out. And I think they even said the same thing about that, the dude from NXS that did it. Didn't Cornell kind of go down the same way? Yeah. Uh, they call it autoerotic asphyxiation. Right. That's if you're like choking yourself and beating off. But this, what they're talking about was this was something that he would do regularly would be to use that towel and tie it to something 
to kind of pop your neck and pop your spine a little bit. And they think he'd been drinking that night and possibly was having neck problems, back problems, thought, well, I'll just stretch myself out and then maybe passed out. But, I mean, nobody's never going to know. There was no suicide note, nothing like that. So, I mean, a huge loss, not just for Japan, but, I mean, it sucks because I discovered ex-Japan many years after Hide was dead. Yeah. And so now I can only go back and enjoy what once was where if Hide had lived, I would be buying his new stuff today and probably be one of his biggest American fans. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's a crazy one right there. But 33 years old, Japanese legend, one of my favorite all-time guitar players. I'm telling you, ex-Japan, that shit is fucking awesome. Go check it out. want to remember on the 8th, legendary founder and creator of Casablanca Records, the subject of the Spinning Gold movie that is out right now. Back in 1982, at the age of 39, we lost Neil Bogart again. Fuck cancer. Yeah. Sucks. Speaking of which, here's another one. Way too young. 45 years old back in 2018. On the 9th, Ben Graves. Amazing drummer. He played for Pretty Boy Floyd. He played for the band Dope. And he played for the Murder Dolls. And he also died of cancer. 45. Too damn young. Hmm. This one's far out. I really didn't never know about this. I always knew, you know, he was a legendary guy that passed away a while back. 1981, at the age of 36, the world lost the guy who learned how to fuse rock music with reggae and put it on the world stage and became the greatest artist in that genre, the one and only Bob Marley. Yeah. That's a crazy story, man. He ends up with some kind of weird skin cancer on his toe. Yeah. Didn't get checked out in time. Well, he, when he did get it checked out, then he refused to have it amputated and yep. just went back out on tour. After two nights at Madison Square Garden, he collapses while jogging in Central Park. They rush him to the hospital. They find out at this point it's spread all over your body. What does Bob Marley do? Goes back out on tour. Plays his final show in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And is dead shortly thereafter at the age of 36. I don't really listen to a lot of reggae. But, I mean, you can't deny some of that Bob Marley. There's some heaviness to some of that. Whether it's in the message, in the guitars, or just in his awesomeness. Uh, I still say that uh, No Woman, No Cry is like one of the greatest ballads ever written. There's some deep cut Bob Marley stuff. That you don't hear all the time. Like, you know, you know the Bob Marley songs you hear all the time. But if you can open up your mind as a hard rocker just a little bit and give some appreciation to a guy that fused rock music along with reggae, check out some deeper cuts of Bob Marley. There's some pretty cool stuff in there. Just make sure you smoke a big spliff before you do it. Well, that goes without saying. It makes it much better. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Also on the 11th, passed away at the age of 57 back in 2003 of the Jimi Hendrix experience, Noel Redding. Yeah. That one was kind of a surprise. I mean, yeah, he's 57, but he died suddenly at his home. And I guess he had cirrhosis of the liver and maybe didn't realize it. He was a heavy, heavy drinker. Yeah, he's, he had problems, but he made it to 57 
and just kicked over. At the time of his death, he was pretty much embattled with the estate of Jimi Hendrix because they were continuing, allegedly, to release stuff that was songs that he helped write and live appearances that he's actually on, but they somehow cut him out of the proceeds of it. He was super talented. Yeah, definitely a guy to be remembered. You know, Jimi Hendrix gets all the credit, but, you know, there was two other guys there helping make that stuff happen. Don't forget them. And then finally, man, this sucks. There's That was a bunch. I don't like it when there's a lot. I like it when there's none, but there's always some. And this one probably hits the hardest of all of them, even though it's been, man, hard to believe, like 13 years ago. Man, it sure don't seem like 13 years. Kind of feels like yesterday. Definitely want to remember on the 16th of May, at the age of 67, back in 2010, the one, the only, Ronnie James Dio. Wow. Not long before we started the show. That's right. Yep, because I remember where I was when I heard it, and it was a real bummer. Ronnie was diagnosed with stomach cancer in the winter of 2009. He went to Houston for treatment, and he never came back. Fucking cancer. Fucking cancer, man. Ronnie James Dio, one of the all-time greats. And we got a bunch of phony-ass rock stars, legendary guys trying to con us nowadays. But yet we can't have Ronnie James Dio. Ronnie James Dio would have been doing it right. I I would have loved to have heard Ronnie James Dio do a podcast. Wow. I never thought about that before, but yeah, I would be a subscriber to that. Well, he was so such an open book, and I, I've shared it in the past. Do yourself a favor if you haven't seen it. I don't even know how to look for look it up, but there was an interview he gave. It was I think it was during the um, what was it, one of the Tracy G albums that came out, um, Machine Angry Machines. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. It was on that tour. And this guy from like a community rock station or community college station or something does like an interview with Ronnie on his bus. And it is the most open and honest interview you'll ever see. He talks shit, but he also makes a lot of sense during it and um, talks a lot of behind the scenes stuff with the business. It's one of the best interviews. It's well before podcasting, but it's one of the best interviews that I wish I could have given. Yeah, that sucks, man. Yeah, we'll never have Ronnie James Dio on the Decibel Geek podcast. Yeah. And what sucks even worse than that is we'll never have more music, never be able to see him in concert. That's a guy, man, I, there's rock stars we got today that I would trade for Ronnie James Dio anytime. Yeah. Miss him. I think he would have had a, a whole new career in podcasting because he was such a, he was never afraid to back down from what he said and what he felt. Well, and I could see his podcast being, I mean, not being a rock music podcast. I could see him doing kind of like Joe Rogan does, where you bring a guest on and you talk about all kinds of different shit. Because he was into philosophy and a lot of stuff. And he was smart enough and well-spoken enough that it would have worked. It would have. Man. Now you made me miss him even more. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just thinking out loud. Ah, Rockstar Death Days, it's good to remember, but it it hurts sometimes, too. So a lot of awesome people here that we're going to be missing in the next week. You definitely want to take the time to remember those folks. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about the stuff that's coming out right now. I've got some cool things on the list today coming up. 
Um, let's see. Let's start out with this one. This one's already out. It is the guitarist from Hanoi Rocks, Andy McCoy. Nice. It's got an album called 21st Century Rocks. It was ready to come out in 2019, and then, well, we all know what happened after that. The world shut down, and so did Andy McCoy's record distribution. So now, finally, if you've been waiting for that one, it's coming back around, and it is out now. It's called 21st Century Rocks, new album from Andy McCoy of Hanoi Rocks. Here's another one I'm super excited about. This is an up-and-coming artist that you know that we support because we've had her on the show a bunch of times. She's been at Rockin' Pod. We sing her praises any opportunity we get. There was a special limited edition autograph CD that was released back in March. I missed it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm so mad at myself. So now, finally, the actual record release date is coming on the 5th. And I'm talking about Jax Hollow. You know her. You remember her. She's awesome. Little bit country. Whole lot of rock and roll. We'll see what she does. What she's learned from Michael Wagner. What she's taken on to this next one. It's called Only the Wild Ones. It comes out on the 5th. And if you are in the Nashville area, there will be an album release party at the Basement East on May 28th. Yeah, I'm thinking about going to that. So if you're in town for that, you definitely want to check out Jax Hollow. Tell her the Decibel Geek Podcast sent you because she knows we love her. She loves us, too. She rules, man. Killer guitar player. Yeah, love it. All right. Also on the 5th, I don't know, you remember this band? Therapy. Or should I say Therapy? (laughs) Yeah, I remember them. They had a question mark in their name, right? Yep. So, they're an Irish rock band. Believe it or not, this is their 16th studio album. Their first since 2018. This band, I've learned, even though they've been around this whole time, they are way, way more popular in Europe than they are here in the States. I think here in the States, they're probably best known for teaming up with Ozzy to do Iron Man on the Nativity in Black tribute to Sabbath back in 1994, but... You know what? These guys have been around all this time. They got a new album coming out on the 5th called Hard Cold Fire. Therapy? That's right. They're back. And apparently they never went anywhere. Wow, the 5th is a day, man. Bunch of cool albums coming out on the 5th. This is like the battle of last month between Overkill, Metallica, and uh, LA Guns. And Jason Beeler. That's right. Four great albums coming out on the 5th. Here's the next one. English Metal Legends, Tigers of Pantang, they're back with their 13th studio album called Bloodlines. It's a follow-up to 2019's Ritual, which was awesome. It was a great album. The new song is awesome. I like this band. This was a band I knew nothing about when I was younger, but I love love the hell out of them now, and I go back and listen to their old stuff. Uh, Rob Weir, the founding member, the only original left. He keeps this thing going. Did you know that John Sykes was in the Tigers of Pantang yeah, for a couple of albums? Yeah, he was like their kind of kind of their calling card, and then he got plucked from uh, Tigers for uh, Thin Lizzy for Thunder and Lightning. But I like the new stuff they're doing now more than the old stuff. Yeah, yeah, the new stuff's good. Well, you seem to know a lot about this band. Do you know that they also once had a drummer named Big Dick? I didn't know that. It's true. <laughs> 
Big Dick was once the drummer of Tigers of Pantang. It'd be funny if he had like three inches in reality, though. <laughs> Why do they call you Big Dick? Well, you know. Well, because it's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just read the facts. Look it up. It's real. All right. And also on the 5th, this is one I know people are really, really looking forward to and pretty excited about. You know, appropriately, this is their seventh studio album, and it's called Seven. Yep. Talking about Winger, their first new studio album in nine years. And what I think is pretty cool about this, it's the return of Paul Taylor, who has not appeared on a Winger studio album since 1990. Yeah, and the, the, the two tracks so far that have been released are great. I like both of them. Yeah, that, what was it, Proud? Proud Desperado. Proud Desperado, man. Yeah, I like that song. That's really cool. Yeah, they sound good. And I, you know, I've heard from people inside the camp that it's not, that it's more progressive. And it is more progressive, I guess, but it still sounds like Winger to me when I listen to it. Winger was always kind of a, I mean, they were pop rock with a little heaviness mixed in, very melodic, well written songs. But, you know, some of their stuff was kind of borderline proggy, but that's how it goes when you've got, like, super talented musicians. They can't just write Madeleine over and over again, or She's Only 17 over and over again. I always felt like those songs were like, okay, we have to have these songs because we want to get on MTV. We want to get airplay back in the late 80s, early 90s. That was kind of the thing you needed. But then you'd listen to the rest of the album, and it'd be... Songs that are way deeper. Yeah, I think they played the game enough to get success and make money, but they're a musician's band. For sure. I mean, you don't come from Alice Cooper into nothing, you know. you got to have some kind of skills to even get there to begin with. Right. And that's that was the birthplace of, of the band Winger. Uh, this one comes out, like I said, on the 5th, Frontiers Records. Still doing it right. Let's see. I've got, let's do two more. We'll go up to the 12th. Here's a band that is coming out with their fourth studio album on the 12th. They are known for classics like the songs Kiss Tried to Kill Me and Balls. Talking about the Black Spiders from England. New album coming out on the 12th called Can't Die, Won't Die. And people say, you know, rock and roll's dead. There haven't been a good there hasn't been any good new bands come out in the last 20 years. I point at the Black Spiders and I point at you and I say bullshit. Listen to the Black Spiders. They're awesome. They should be a giant band, in my opinion. I think so. You know, someday, Black Spiders and a lot of the bands we talk about, I swear, are going to be on those cruises. They're going to be at those Monsters of Rock festivals and things like that. Because, like I said, once these bands are gone, somebody's got to fill that void. And these are the quality bands, like the Black Spiders, that can and should, and I'm guessing will, be the ones to do that. Yeah, and like, Hardcore Superstar, Massive Wagons. There, there's a ton of Wigwam. There's a ton yeah. of bands. Yep, for sure. All right, I got one more for you. This is a name you might not have heard of in a while. This is a long-awaited return for some people that really love this band. I know this band has got a lot of fans. They're a Philly rock band. They're called Heaven's Edge. You oh, they've been around Heaven's forever. Edge? They've been around for a while. But they're coming out with a studio album on the 12th called Get It Right. It is their first album in 25 years. Yep. So they've been around for a while, but then they were gone for a while. 
But guess what? Now they're back. All living original members in Heaven's Edge are performing on this new album. And I know there's got to be a lot of people out there that are pretty excited for this because Heaven's Edge is one of those bands that at the time when we started this show, I didn't know a lot about them. I didn't know nothing about them. actually never even heard of them. But it was through the listeners of this show that this band would come up again and again and again in conversations and interactions between us and our listeners. So I know there's people out there that are excited about this. Philadelphia band, and I listened to the new single, and it's awesome. Yeah? Nice. I got one of their old albums. I really liked it. And I was like, how did I never know about this band? They were like in a, one of those mini bands that came out around 1990, 91, where the tide was already turning, and they yeah. didn't get a real fair shake. All right. Well, it's 2023, and they're back for it. So get it right. It's Heaven's Edge. There you go. New stuff from Andy McCoy, Jack's Hollow, Therapy, Tiger's Pantang, Winger, Black Spiders, Heaven's Edge. There you go. That's what you got looking forward to in this next week. So we covered it all. We look to the current. Happy birthday, everybody. We look to the past. Rock stars that we miss. And we look to the future with rock and roll coming our way. And that is the Camaro segment. We should come up with a name for this segment. Should we call it like past, present, and future or something? call it whatever you want <laughs> i know but i'm gonna do like a little cool you know video clips and stuff i gotta come oh, up with okay a neat title all right um well you could separate them i saw you've been doing like little uh videos to go with them so maybe you could separate them and say you know hey these are the people to remember this week and do that as a little segment and then say hey here's some upcoming albums coming your way and you could do that as a little video too okay i'll do that so just call it Rockstar Death Days, and albums to look forward to. <laughs> Don't you guys love that we do show research while we're recording? That's awesome. Uh, the joy of podcasting. Uh, we just got a few more stories to hit on here. Um, we don't really cover Journey much. I just wanted to mention Dean Castronovo, a drummer from Journey, said that it will, quote, take a miracle from God to uh, fix a relationship between Neil, Sean, and Jonathan Cain. I just want to mention that God has responded. He said, oh, fuck no, I have other other things to worry about. Yeah, even I have my limitations. Yeah. And that's that's it right there. There ain't no way. Journey has become such a soap opera, even more than in the past. That band has always been that way. You know, you listen to their songs, their songs are full of drama. So what are the people that are writing these songs about? Man, it's sad. Did you hear Sebastian Box singing Oh Sherry? No. No, he was, you know what, I'll give him credit because it looked like he just put on the album and started singing along to it. Was it good? Yeah, it was not bad. Okay. It was not bad. Not, not an easy one to all. sing. No, uh-uh. None of that stuff is. I mean, fuck, Steve Perry's got one of the most iconic, most powerful and hard-to-duplicate voices ever. But then again, so does Sebastian Bach. Yeah. Well, even Sebastian can't do his old stuff anymore. Well, I think if he's hanging out in his house and puts on the record, I think he can. Drinks enough red wine. Maybe, maybe. Can't hurt. <laughs> uh, this one, uh, this headline grabbed me, so I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, Tony Iommi uh, apparently talked about the, there's a ballet that is soundtracked by the music of Black Sabbath that will premiere in September at the Hippodrome Theater in Birmingham, uh, England, UK. Did you hear about this? Well, I saw it, and I saw a date, and I thought, 
is Sabbath doing a show? Like, who's singing for them, you know? And I was like, I looked at it, I was like, wait a minute, this ain't a Black Sabbath concert. This is ballet, and they're dancing to War Pigs and Iron Man, and Sabbath songs. I'd go to that. <laughs> I would, too, just out of pure curiosity. Um Commissioned by Birmingham's Royal Ballet director, Carlos Acosta, and Ballet Now, the ballet will include eight specially reorchestrated Black Sabbath songs plus new music inspired by the band. Wow. And uh, Tony said, uh, I wouldn't have believed them really, to be honest. At the time when I got involved with Black Sabbath, I thought it was great because it was something so different and hasn't been done before, and I found it, I think, a good challenge. I'm looking at our music differently now with this ballet because it's being interpreted in a different way. It's still got the basic things, but then it did have in the different orchestral things coming in. And I never thought for a minute we would have people dancing to War Pigs and Iron Man, but here we are. <laughs> right. Like, I have zero interest in ballet whatsoever, but this, this I would go to. <laughs> I mean, my daughter's danced uh, in ballet classes through high school. But uh, it's hard to imagine them dancing to Black Sabbath. Well, no, then you think back now, now that you know better, you wouldn't have had to feel bad at your daughter's ballet recital to jump up and yell, hey, play some Sabbath. Right. That would have been totally okay. Bizarre. That's pretty bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd go see it. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I was never into ballet, and then I saw that Black Sabbath thing, and now I can't get enough. Right. Uh, another story, uh, Kirk Hammett has explained why he uses the wah pedal so much. Did you see this? He sure loves that thing, though, I know. That's for sure. You know, and, like, he gets uh, a lot of flack for uh, for using it, and he says that the wah enables me to mirror the inner voice in my head and in my heart. That's what I'm hearing. All these manipulated tones and notes, because that's what the human voice is like. We cycle through all these different tones and frequencies when we speak, when I step on the wah pedal and hear that that clicking in my brain and my heart at the same time. Now, is this all really how he feels? Or honestly, as a guitar player myself, not nearly on Kirk Hammett's level, I'll just say that. D the wah pedal definitely makes you uh, cover up a lot of mistakes. Well, I mean, and he is kind of the signature wah guy. I mean, nobody uses the wah pedal as much as Kirk Hammett, I don't think. It does make life easier as a guitar player. I'll just say that. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, it does make sense what he says, you know, as far as like singing, you know, with the ups and downs of a voice, you can capture that with a wah pedal. To be honest with you, I, I do think he gets a little too much shit because he actually is a really good guitar player. He is a good guitar player. Really good. There's some great playing on the, new, on the uh, 72 Seasons record that they just put out. And, it, and he doesn't rely on it quite as much on that album as he has in the past. One thing I thought was cool that he bought the Greeny uh, Les Paul guitar that Peter Green had in Fleetwood Mac. And then oh wow, Peter Green wound up selling it to Gary Moore and Thin Lizzy. And Gary Moore recorded several Thin Lizzy albums with it. And then Kirk Hammett bought it. That out, that guitar is worth like four or five million dollars. Yeah, and he owns it now. So I do love that Kirk has a healthy knowledge and obsession with rock history. So I'll give him credit for that. Why do you think Kirk Hammett doesn't get 
the love that maybe he should. I mean, he's in Metallica. He is the lead guitarist in one of the greatest hard rock and metal bands of all time. But when people talk about like best guitarists, you would assume the guitarist from Metallica would be in that conversation like every time, but he just doesn't ever seem to get his due when it comes to that. I think because I think because there's a blurred line with him and Mustaine through Kill 'em All and Ride the Lightning where a lot of Dave's stuff was on those first two records and you got to wonder how much of that is Kirk playing his own stuff or is he copying stuff that Dave did on demo tapes? I don't know. Um, Kirk is not a bad guitar player. He's a good guitar player, but yeah, I don't know, man. Mustaine's track record on the albums from 86 on, I think is better than Kirk's personally. Yeah. Do you think maybe it's maybe also got something to do with the fact that as far as like personalities in Metallica go, he gets outshined by, by James and Lars every time so that people don't really think about him because he's so deep in the shadow of those other two guys. He is more of a submissive character in the band. Cause a lot of times in a rock and metal band, the guitar player is front and center, right. you know, the, the singer, the guitar player, those are the stars, you know, the Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth. Those are the guys, you know, right up front with Metallica. It's not like that. It's like the singer, the rhythm guitarist, the drummer, you know, those are the focal points. And no matter how good of a guitar player you are, you're still in that shadow. And so when people think of the greatest guitar players in rock and metal, it's like you don't even think about him because he's hidden. Well, and I will say, I mean, he he gets overshadowed because of James, because James is the for the forefront guy. But even on like the Black album, I know we're all sick to death of the song The Unforgiven, but I'll give Kirk credit. The solo that he puts down on the song The Unforgiven, that's a fucking classic solo. So when he's pushed, and I'll give Bob Rock credit on that for pushing him, and it's documented on video in the year and a half in the life of Metallica videotape, when he's pushed, he can put out some pretty fucking legendary stuff. So I do yeah. think the guy deserves credit. I think so, too. And I don't think he gets enough of it. I don't think so, either, because he's, he's kind of a submissive-type character also. But like on the last three Metallica records, I thought he's done great. Even on 72 Seasons, there's some pretty mind-blowing guitar solos on some of those songs. Yeah. Uh, moving on to, uh, since we're talking about like you know people at the top of the musical game, let's talk about Brett Michaels. Okay. <laughs> top of the musical game, huh? Yeah. Um, he, I don't think he's lip-syncing. No, he's not. definitely not lip-syncing. He says that uh, you know he's getting ready to embark on his Party Gras solo tour this summer, which ah, should geez. be a Poison tour, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but he said that Poison isn't going anywhere, and he said there's a brotherhood there, and we're never breaking up. As in they're not going anywhere on tour with me. Yeah. We're awesome friends, but I won't pay them. He says, Cece and I get along 99% of the time. When it goes bad, it turns into a fist fight. Parting ways was heartbreaking for me, but he's one of my best friends now. Um, he says all the right things, but I still think that they kind of ruined the momentum they built off that Motley Crue tour last year, and they should have done a, a shed tour with Poison this year. 100%, because I remember when that tour was happening, everybody was kind of talking shit about Motley Crue. 
Even talking a little bit about Def Leppard. But the one thing everybody agreed with was Poison was stealing the show almost every, every night. And there was a lot of people that were saying that. And the videos that were coming out, Poison looked like a million bucks. Yeah. And so why wouldn't you capitalize on that? You know, we just did this tour opening, you know, not full headlining, just opening, a limited set. And people loved it. Well, guess what, everybody? Now we're coming back around. We're headlining. We're bringing Tesla or, you know, Rat or somebody with us. And we're headlining this one. They could have done it. Yeah. And it would have been great. I would have rather, much, much rather gone and seen that than go see the stinky old Motley Crue lip sync tour. Yeah. I I mean, they they came out looking like a million bucks on that tour. Um, But Brett's doing this tour that, honestly, I don't know anyone that really cares about it. I mean, do we care about seeing Brett do a a set with his solo band and Steve Algieri doing Journey songs and uh, Mark McGrath doing Sugar Ray? I mean, who gives a fuck? No, uh-uh. Unless Mark McGrath is doing that first Sugar Ray album. He's not. He's doing I Just Want to Fly. Oh. I was <laughs> going to say, in which case, then he should be headlining. But otherwise, no, I don't care about that. If Poison was coming to town, you can bet your ass I'm going to be there for it. Brett Michaels is coming to town. I doubt it. Somebody would have to give me free tickets. Yep, me and Rock and Ron went to Memphis to see. Uh, it was the Brett Michaels show, but opening was Roxy Blue, Tora Tora, and Every Mother's Nightmare. We we watched the th- the three Memphis bands, and we were like, we got through half of Brett's first song, and we're like, ah, we're good. Let's go to the bar. Yeah, I was gonna say you guys went to the Brett Michaels show, but you didn't go to see Brett. We, we stayed for about a minute and a half of Brett's set, and we were like, ah, let's go get drunk. <laughs> yep. That's why they call it the Party Gras Tour. And we had a blast without Brett. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I you know, I wish Brett all the best. But uh, sure, Poison really could have capitalized on that, on the momentum they had. And I, I think that, and I think Brett's mostly responsible for why they didn't. I would think so, because I remember the videos of him hogging the cameras all the time, you know. Yeah. It's all, it's all about me. It's all about Brett. Get on my bus of love, ladies. That's lame. We could have had several good Poison records in the last few years, I think, if it wasn't for him. Yeah, it makes me mad, Brett Michaels, if you're listening to this. It pisses me off. You've got Poison, which is one of the... Oh, man, people are going to skewer me for this. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. One of the greatest bands of all time. (laughs) And you just don't do it for us, man. We want Poison. You're okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you, Brett. But damn it, we've seen enough of that shit. You teased us on the Motley tour and showed us how awesome Poison is. They were so good. And now you won't even give it to us. When we're willing to pay to see you headline. We're willing to do that. We want that. That's what we want. We don't want this other shit. You're okay by yourself. But you're not as good as when you're with Poison. You're a lot more forgiving than me. I think his solo stuff is garbage. And for the most part, it is. Yeah. But I mean, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be nice to Brett Michaels here, so he'll listen to us and get Poison back together. All right. Don't you see what I'm doing here? But they're such. They were still like the most fun band of the '80s. Yeah. And it's 2023, and we need some fun. Not the kind of fun with a Journey cover band and 
The one dude from Sugar Ray. Yeah, don't need that. Brett Michaels always seems to like, when he does these things, he surrounds himself with people that he's above average to. You know, he's, I don't, I just, I can't explain. I don't know what, I don't want to say he's greedy, but I think we've actually said that in the past. So I guess we stick with it. Stop being greedy, Brett Michaels. Share the love with your band. And by sharing the love with your band, you're sharing the love with your fans. Everybody's happy. Suck it up, man. Suck it up. Can you name one solo Brett Michaels song that's great? I mean, there was that one song on that one soundtrack from like 15 years ago. (laughs) Name it. What the fuck was it called? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Damn it. What was it called? Letter from Death Row? That's it. That's the one, the song. Oh. I think that was the name of the song. Yeah, maybe that was the title track to the movie soundtrack. That was one good song on that album. It was pretty cool. It sounded kind of like a Poison song. But the rest of it wasn't so great. And then, man, what I always think of is like the Sublime cover. And that's just not cool. Like Brett Michaels, Poison and, and Sublime are two totally separate things. And so... When you hear Brett Michaels doing a Sublime song, it just it doesn't jive. It it makes you think Brett Michaels twenty five years too late is saying we're playing the current stuff like Sublime, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like he wants to play something current, but he doesn't understand what that means. Yeah, I can't wait for his cover of The Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, then there's yeah the country stuff. That's I don't know. I don't know. Brett Michaels. Mm, I'm trying to be nice, but. You suck on your own, and we want poison back. That's right. Stop being a greedy dick, Brett Michaels. Brett, listen to me. My co-host here stood up on a bar in the 90s and proclaimed his love for poison. It's true. If that doesn't count for something, I don't know what does. It counted against me getting laid that night, I'll tell you that. That's for damn sure. (laughs) It's true, damn it. This has been a tough talk, Brett Michaels, but I want you to know it's only because we care. That's right. It's because we care. So um, I saw a next story. I, I saw, you know, oh, did, did, have you heard the new Overkill album, Scorched, yet? I've got it sitting right here next to me. I got a problem. I got it and the Beeler album on the same day, and I'm kind of stuck on the Beeler album. I'm really Ooh. all right. I'm I'm taking Overkill with me in the car tomorrow, but I've been stuck on the Beeler album. It's wow. pretty awesome. Though I, I have to listen to it still, and I was so stoked for the last one. I bought the Overkill. I've got it here. I've got. I'm committed to listen to it tomorrow in the car. I still don't think that releasing your new overkill album on the same day metallica releases their new album was a great marketing idea well and then how many people that went to the target to get to the new metallica were like oh man where's the new overkill (laughs) not too many well and then of course it ain't there well i just thought this was a funny story um bobby blitz went on wrecking ball media to do an interview and they asked him to name the most disgusting habit of someone that he has ever toured with Oh, wow. And I thought this was funny. He said, uh, he's talking about a crew member. He says, we toured with a guy, and I don't like talking about the dead, but this fucking guy would do an entire tour without taking a shower. And we're talking fucking six weeks. 
And on top of that, he would cover himself with patchouli oil. You uh, know what patchouli oil is? Yeah, hippie shit. Yeah. He says, I remember one tour he had, and, and he wore the same clothes daily for the entire thing. And his Ugh. zipper busted right on the first day, and he always went commando. And he would be up on the ladder fixing lights or something, and I would be walking on stage, and his ding-dong would be hanging out, and all the patchouli oil smell all over the place. And I said to him, I looked up to him, and I said, you know something? I smell you more than I smell me on this tour, and I saw your dick more than I saw my own dick. But he was a great man beyond that. Again, I'm not trying to stir up the dead. He was a great man and a great friend and somebody I always love. But I'm going to talk about him reeking and having his dick out. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's probably something that's going to stick in your memory for a long time. Like that guy, unforgettable. Yeah. That's... Like every time I smell patchouli or see a cock, I think of him. I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, Bo- Bobby sounds like uh, he does not pull punches in interviews. Um, oh, Bobby Blitz is awesome. Uh, Reach, Mus- Reach Music Publishing has acquired both the master and publishing rights for Judas Priest, Rockarola, and Sad Wings of Destiny albums. Wow. How does that happen? They sold out to them. Um, it says Reach will be working in partnership with Judas Priest on these two albums and is planning a variety of projects to be announced later this year, including special releases for the 50th anniversary of Rockarola in 2024. Uh-huh. Wow. I wonder if that'll have any unreleased tracks. I guarantee from the time. It Yeah, you think there's some out there? There has to be. I mean, they wouldn't have been ponying up money for this. And like, this is a new trend with artists that are selling the rights to their stuff because they're uh, they're taking uh, they're taking the money while they can because albums don't sell much anymore. I guess that makes sense. And then you know you beef it up with some extra stuff and make it extra special and deluxe versions with booklets and stickers and all the cool things that come with these these deluxe editions and yep yeah i mean i'd be if shit if that's got i know how you feel about that album i still swear there's some killer stuff in there it's not the priest we know and love but kind of put that put judas priest out of your mind when you listen to that first album say okay they're not really priest yet but they're just called judas priest that's still some damn good music I'm interested in hearing it, especially if it's unreleased stuff. And yeah. um, Michael Kloster, who's the president of uh, Reach Music, said the acquisition of the masters and publishing for Rock and Roll and Sad Wings of Destiny was a monumental opportunity for Reach Music coming not along after Judas Priest's induction into the Hall of Fame. This happened with the approval of Judas Priest and their manager, Jane Andrews, and I'm so excited to begin working closely with them on a variety of special projects. So, uh, I, you know, I have to think there's going to be, like, deluxe editions or something coming out from these. Yeah, they got to do something special with it. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. The Sad Wings wouldn't interest me more, but, you know, I'll probably end up buying both. Yeah, me too. A um, couple left. Uh, David Ellison back in the news says, Dave Mustaine fired him from Megadeth over personal grudges and resentments. I don't think that's big news. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, because the stuff that he went through, it wasn't criminal. It didn't hurt the band. It didn't hurt anybody. It was embarrassing for sure. I I, I got to imagine. It was pretty personally embarrassing for David. But as far as like a negative effect on Megadeth 
or the music or anything? No. So then it goes to show you that, you know, as you've kind of known for years, Dave Mustaine really don't like David Ellefson and there's been lawsuits in the past and everything else to where it's like, okay, perfect excuse to get rid of David Ellefson. Yeah. I think that's what it boils down to. And I think that's what it is, just an excuse to to get him gone. Because, I mean, otherwise, I don't know, because Dave's an original guy, you know, and David was there from the very beginning. And so, like, when you look at Megadeth, you really kind of think of Dave and David. So then when David's out of the picture, now who do you think of? Dave. Yeah. And isn't that the way Dave wants it? I'm sure. It's not as much of a meal ticket money-wise to have Ellison in the band anymore, so it makes sense. Right, and whoever you got to replace him probably don't have to pay him as much. That's James Lomenzo, who was in White Lion. Also was in Megadeth for a few years before. Yeah, James Lomenzo is pretty awesome. I He's forgot that's player. who it was. Yeah. Well, whatever. David Ellison's getting to do some cool stuff on his own now that he might not have got to do, and... You know what? If there's personal grudges and resentments going on in the band that you're in, how much fun is that really? I don't think it was fun for him the whole time he was back. Yeah, probably not. Why else would you have Ellison Coffee and EMP Label and all these other yeah, things? Yeah. Sometimes things are a blessing in disguise, you know? One day you're beaten off in front of the computer and the next day you're <laughs> enjoying sweet, sweet freedom. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so, you know, it's all in how you look at things. Oh, man. We love you, David Ellison. <laughs> on that note, we got Just one teasing. Oh, I've got one more after this that I saw you missed. Okay. All right. Well, let me do this last one that I have on the list. Um, Mark Torian from the Bullet Boys. <laughs> he went on Metal Society Sunday uh, with our friend D- DJ Britt, um, who does a great show on Twitch. Uh, I've been a guest on that show. Um, but he said that uh, I remember hanging out with Axl Rose and other GNR members when we first got signed, and even before that, hanging out at the Cat House. We would always have those chats like, man, we've got to make it. What else are we going to do? I've just got to say this. I just want to proclaim my love to Axel, Mr. Rose. I just love him so much. I haven't seen him in many years, but growing up playing together on the Sunset Strip and what have you in that time, They'd always come out and see us, and we'd always go out and see them. And I just love the band, and I love Slash and Duff. I'm so proud of Axel that he's out there doing what he's doing. He was out there every night giving everything he has, and those songs are not a walk in the park, my brother. That's some tough singing. I applaud him. Hats off. And a lot of love sent to Axel Rose. So he's wow. basically trying to position himself that he wants to work with Axel Rose. Well, you know, I'll give him this. You know, it's different than usual, Mark Torian. Like, normally you would expect him to go, you know, Axl Rose, he loves me. And Guns N' Roses, they love me. And so this is progress. I remember back in the day, they used to tell me that I that the Bullet Boys were so much better than them. And in between, you know, James Hetfield wanting to buy me beers, I would have to, like, get these guys to quit kissing my butt all the time and telling me how awesome I am. So, yeah, some good improvement from Mark Torian. Yeah. Did he happen to be asked about any of the crazy Vinnie Vincent stuff? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. Uh, well, I, 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 you know, it's funny. You know, I'm friends with Britt on uh, Facebook, and he was promoting it. And I messaged him. I was like, well, did he talk about the Vinnie thing coming up? 
And he's like, we talked, but uh, it was off air. And I was like, anything interesting? And he's like, oh, he just kind of just went on and on. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help. But uh, I'll go ahead and say this. Mark my words. The Vinny Vincent thing that's happening this month, I bet doesn't happen. I bet it gets canceled. Well, if I was a bent man, I yeah, that's probably a pretty safe bet, I would say, you know, based on the track record. Well, most of the SIR stuff he's done has actually gone through and happened. But this is an album listening party for this Judgment Day album that he's supposedly doing. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, let me check my 2023 albums list here. Mm, nope, no, 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 <laughs> nope. Vinny Vincent on here. <laughs> well, look for albums that were supposed to be released in 1990. Oh, yeah. I just want to say I was listening to Freak Show the other day. Great fucking album. Oh, by the Bullet Boys? Yeah. Yeah, that's got that uh, that crazy cover. Of, what is that? Who's that? Tom Waits? Yeah, Hang that, On St. Christopher. Man, that what they do to that song. It's great. And I've never listened to Tom Waits, but that song that the Bullet Boys cover on there is amazing. And then I go, well, who the hell's Tom Waits? And I go check out the original version. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Tom Waits is an acquired taste for sure. Yeah, not mine. Yeah. I'll take the Bullet Boys over Tom Waits every time. I saw a funny video on him recently where uh, he had to sue, I think it was Taco Bell or some big corporate company for using one of his songs. Really? Yeah. Taco Bell's trying to, come get some tacos. Well, they were doing something along the, he was kind of like the the critical darling back in the late 80s. Yeah. And uh, there were like several, it was Taco Bell or Doritos or I think it was, maybe it was Doritos, but like they, they like used a fake version of him for the uh, commercial because he had already turned them down. And then uh, they went, they went forward with like a a fake version of him and he went up, wound up winning the lawsuit. The the main thing I know Tom waits from is uh, he did the theme song for the TV show, the wire. Have you ever seen the wire? I don't think so. It's a great cop drama from uh, HBO. But uh but yeah, he did the theme song for that. I thought he was good in Hellboy. No, he is good in that too. The Hellboy. But like Mark Torian at least has moved on from saying that he's going to open for the Foo Fighters on their next tour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks though cuz I love the Bullet Boys, you know. Oh man. Yeah, at least he's not like I don't know. He's not paying it. tribute to uh, Michael Jackson anymore. Right, or maybe I was—I would more expect Mark Torian to come up and be like, "I'm running for president in 2024." Why not? Wouldn't surprise me. I'd vote for him at this point. Uh, hmm. what if Vinnie Vincent was on the ticket? Nah, that would be a difference maker. Mark Torian for president, Vinnie Vincent vice president. Can't do it. <laughs> I think we're in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> All promises not delivered. Yeah, right. So, yeah, business as usual, I guess. So you had another story that you had uh, chambered. Well, I just thought that maybe, I don't know. I'm fucking sick of Sammy Hagar talking shit all the time. Okay. (laughs) And it comes up again and again and again, and it came up this last week again, where he just can't fucking stop himself from talking shit about David Lee Roth. Like, David Lee Roth ain't saying nothing about him. He doesn't have to. He doesn't. Uh, it's not even a news story. I don't know why I brought it up. Oh, it just I saw pisses it. me off. I'm fucking sick of it. Well, it's just like it. 
it's it's the well that he goes back to. And like everybody's like, well, if interviewers wouldn't ask him about it, he wouldn't have to answer. And I get that, but at the same time, there's a respectful way to answer those questions, and he never takes that route. I mean, do the interviews even ask him anymore? I mean, everybody knows at this point the story, so why ask? Is he just bringing it up on his own? Because they're looking for blabbermouth headlines. That's why. I mean, I don't blame people for asking him about it, and I don't blame him for answering. But at the same time, there's a classy way to go about He could just say, you know, I'm proud of my time in Van Halen. Dave had a lot of great stuff in Van Halen. Let's just leave it at that. If you if just say something like that, it's the same thing with Paul Stanley with Ace and Peter. You could respectfully answer that question without throwing them under the bus. Right. True. Yeah. But you, you choose not to, which tells me you feed into that shit. Right, and that kind of makes it seem like you're just waiting for somebody to ask it. Oh, I hope they ask me about Dave, because I got some stuff to say. Well, what else is he going to talk about? Do you, do you really want to hear him talk about Standing Hampton? Uh, no. no yeah, I mean, me neither. You know, if, if Sammy Hagar was on, like, Decibel Geek, I wouldn't ask him about David Lee Roth. You know what I'd ask him? What? Would you please shut the fuck up? <laughs> you stupid idiot. Knock well, it I'll off. Line up the Sammy Hagar interview, and that'll be the first question. Would you please shut the fuck up? Yeah, that's my first question. Would you please shut the fuck up and knock it off with the Dave Lee Roth stuff? Everybody knows Dave is so much cooler than you are. You will never be as cool as Dave. And no matter how many times or for how many years you try to convince people of it, nobody's buying it. And your chicken McNuggets suck. Yeah. And I don't like your... Mm, I just ooh, it makes me mad. I'm sick and fucking tired of it. Did Stupid you ever ass know Sammy that you're Hagar. My hero. <sighs> I'm just mm, it makes me mad. I'm so tired of it. Sammy Hagar, the minute and a half interview. Such a douchebag, Sammy Hagar. Is is that a question? Yeah, it's a question. Why are you such a douchebag all the time? <laughs> If I line him up, will you actually ask that question at, to start it off? Yes. All right. I'm actually going to try to line Sammy Hagar up just to see if you'll do it. I will do it. If you actually line it up, I will do it. <laughs> I will ask him what the fuck his problem is. Decibel Geek Podcast interview Sammy Hagar. It lasts 90 seconds. She's like, Sammy, you know. That would be funny. When I was a kid, I discovered Van Halen from listening to my Aunt Pam's records. And then when I got a little bit older, I was able to, you know, watch MTV and everything. And, and I saw, you know, oh, new Van Halen song. And I'm so excited. And I listened to it. And it fucking sucks. And you killed Van Halen. And why don't you shut the fuck up and quit being such, such a douchebag all the time. And leave David Lee Roth's mouth word. Leave his name out of your mouth. I get mad. I'm tired of it. So you set up the interview, and I'm going to tell him to shut the fuck up. I am Facebook friends with his son. <sighs> He's got kids, of course. Now I can't do it, damn it. <laughs> his son's like 30, dude. Don't worry about I don't, it. Well, I'm sure then he already knows. He probably says, Dad, shut the fuck up. Stop. I wish David Lee Roth was my dad. Ian Wildly is loving hearing all this. And Mark Allen Taylor's like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Sorry, dude. I know some of you people love Sammy. I do. And I don't hate Sammy. I hate that I didn't get to have a cool Van Halen when I was a kid. Like, my aunts and uncles and cool older cousins, they all got to have a really awesome Van Halen. Not me. My Van Halen sucked. 
And I don't I hate do. it all, but by comparison, you can't compare original Van Halen with Sammy Hagar Van Halen. You can't. And, I mean, Michael Sweet will tell you. I saw that, too. Thank you, Michael Sweet, for being honest. Honestly. Honestly. See, that, like see what, what I see did what there? there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give you a second. That's it. That's the news. I don't know nothing else. I just get so mad at Sammy Hagar. That's GeekWire. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.